Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. The book of 2 Thessalonians and chapter number 3. We'll continue with our regular series tonight. We're just taking a minor pit stop as we have our special anniversary celebration that you've allowed me to be here as your pastor here for these number of years, and we're thankful, Lord, for that. And I know that I cannot do it without you, that if you don't want me to pastor, well, there's very little I can do about it. And so we appreciate this relationship that you allow me to help pastor and help you, and that you, in turn, help me as we try to seek God together. And because of this, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica in Second Thessalonians chapter number 3, And with this, after addressing some things that needed to be addressed, he takes some time to ask the church to pray for him. And with it, he tries to teach them, how do you pray for the preacher? How do you pray for the man of God who is overseeing, who is steward? How do you pray for the man of God who is trying to love on this church? And with this, we can see the Apostle Paul takes time to teach the church of Thessalonica how to pray for him. And with that same idea, as we look forward to seeing what God is going to do, that the greatest days of this church are still ahead, we want to take the time to teach you how to pray for me. And so if you don't mind, let's take some time in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. And let's start at verse number 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3 and verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of God may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that you will both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of Scripture, writes in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. The book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and notice with me verse 1, pray for us. Pray for us. And with the Lord's help, I would like just to preach this message with that title, Pray for Us. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And again, I thank you for the great privilege it is to be the pastor of this church and to work with these wonderful folks. And we're looking forward to seeing what you're going to do, how you're going to move things forward, what exciting things that you have for us on the horizon. But we also understand that the important thing for us to be doing is to be praying. To pray for one another, for me to pray for them, for them to pray for me. And through that idea, that medium, that vehicle of prayer, that you could do so many things even beyond our our thinking, our imagination. 
We're thankful we could trust you. With this, I ask that you just help me to die to self. The best I know how, I surrender my thoughts, my ideas, my desires, my ambitions, my goals. I set them aside and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you get your own work accomplished now through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Paul is finishing up this epistle, this letter of 2 Thessalonians, he spent some time to try to encourage the church to continue, that they would continue to move forward, they would continue to keep their eyes on God, that they would continue to work and not to stop, to go forward. Then he closes out this letter and addresses that and asks them to turn around and pray for him. And with this, let's see what is it that the Apostle Paul was asking the church of Thessalonica to pray for him about. The first thing I'd like to bring to your attention here as he, as he gives this is to pray for us that the word of the Lord might have free course. Pray for us that the word of the Lord might have free course. This is what he said in verse number one. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Now, Paul understood the secret. He understood the importance of the word of God. It is the word of God that changes lives. It's not my thoughts. It's not my opinions. It's not my oratory skills. It's not any eloquence of speech. It's God's word. God's word can do its own work. And so he's praying and says, I want you to pray for me that the word of God will have its free course. Do you understand that even as a preacher, God never promised to bless my message, but he promised to bless his word. And so the more of God's word that's in it, the more that we can trust that God will get his work accomplished. And so he's saying, pray for me that the word of God will have free course. The word of God is what people need. They don't need my thoughts. They don't need my opinions. They need God's word. God's word is what changes them. God's word is go forth. And so I want you to pray that there would be nothing that would hinder God's word. You say hinder God's word. Well, the Bible talks a lot about God's word. It says in the book of Hebrews that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. In the book of Jeremiah, it says it's like a hammer breaking through the stone. In the book of Jeremiah, it says it's like a fire burning within them. What do you mean to hinder God's word? Well, believe it or not, there are actually three things the Bible mentions that can stop, that can hinder, that can null and void God's word. Isn't that amazing? The first one he talks about is the tradition of man. The tradition of man. Did you know that the tradition of man can make God's word of none effect? Jesus repeats this in the book of the gospel or in the gospel records, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions. You know there's some people who put traditions in the same level of scripture. This is what we've always done. This is how we do it here. This is what we believe. Well, why do you believe that? Well, because this is what was taught to us. Well, very good. What does the Bible say? It doesn't matter what the Bible says. This is what we believe. You know, that happens. That people put their traditions over the word of God. And if somebody is trusting their traditions, the word of God, then it can make the word of God of none effect. 
It could hinder God's word. If you could imagine taking that illustration that God's word is like a sword. That's sharper than any two-edged sword. What can stop it? Well, if you keep it in its scabbard. If you keep it in its container. Then you've got a blunt instrument. But something that's not sharp and can't do surgery. It keeps it from doing its work. And when people have their traditions. May I say they have their thoughts and their ideas. They don't allow God's word to be the authority. Their experience is the authority. Their ideas are the authority. What they've been taught by their mama says. Or their pastor or this church or whatever else. The word of God has to be our authority. And if we're going to work with people. We have to get into the place where they recognize. This is God's word. This is not our final authority for faith and practice. It is our only authority of faith and practice. It is God's word that people need. It is God's word that changes life. So pray for us that the word of God may have its free course. What can stop God's word from having free course? By traditions of man. What's another thing that the Bible says that can hinder God's word? This is a big one. Quenching the spirit. Quenching the spirit. Did you know that God's spirit can be quenched? Now, we usually use that word as my thirst has been quenched. What happens? Well, it's closed off. It's squeezed. It's, it's done away with. Do you know that God's word can be quenched? Maybe I could give you a background of illustration to try to uh, put the scene in, my mind, in your mind. I can preach the same message the same way, the same text, the same outline, the same everything in two different churches and get two totally different responses. One of them I could preach and the people come to the altars and they're getting right with God and they're making decisions. And I could preach at another church and crickets. People crossing their arms and looking at me strange, looking, what do we do with this type of thing? What happened? Well, God's spirit was quenched. You know how God's spirit's quenched? When you have people that come in not prepared to look in God's word. You ever know someone that has that rain cloud over their head? You know, you've seen those cartoons that when they move over here, that rain cloud just follows them. And there's some people that go in with that grumpy spirit. Their hearts aren't ready for God. And they're frustrated, they're angry, and they can come into a service and the whole atmosphere change. It's, it's amazing. It's almost like in those old westerns when the person comes in, a normal person can come in, nobody does anything, they're still doing the stuff at the saloon, but they walk, you have that one hombre that comes in, opens the door, and the piano stops, the conversation stops, and they all look you know, someone could come with a bad spirit. They're angry. They're not right with God. And, and it could be like, there's such a spirit. People are singing happy in the Lord. And that spirit comes in and it changes everything. It's a real thing. And I could preach and I could preach and I could be praying to God. And it's not going forward. Why? It's not my words that does anything. It's God's spirit. And if God's spirit's not working. If it's not permeating hearts, nothing can be done. We might as well just close it up and go home. Someone could quench the spirit 
and make it so that way God's word is not doing work. Can you imagine you being the grumpy person and coming in and someone who needed their, that message doesn't respond because that spirit's quenched? You say, is that a real thing? The Bible says it is. So therefore, we have to believe it is. You understand what an important thing it is for you to be right with God coming into a service? But Paul's saying, we're praying for us that the word of God have free course. He's experienced it a couple times. If you could forgive the personal illustration, I had a lady once. She would sit in the service, cross her arms, and just stare at me like, bless me if you can. Seven different services and seven different messages after staring at me for a while. She, in the middle of the message, got up and just walked off. Don't you think that disturbs a spirit? Absolutely it does. It's amazing. Someone's come with just that attitude. And they said, it's, by the way, that attitude is not towards the preacher. They have a problem with God. When they're saying, bless me if you can, they're like, come on, God, I dare you to do something. They're quenching God's spirit. And so Paul is praying that the word of God may have free course. So we've covered two things. What can quench God's spirit? The traditions of man can make the word of God (laughs) of none effect. Quenching the spirit, the Bible says, something else, grieving the spirit. Grieving the Spirit, speak, spoken about in the book of Ephesians. How do you grieve the Spirit when you have unforgiveness? That's what the context of that Spirit is. You know that God has forgiven us for everything? Everything. But when we come in and we're crossways with someone and we're angry and we've grieved the Spirit, why is the Spirit grieved? Because God has forgiven us and yet we won't turn around and forgive someone else. When you come in and you're mad at someone, it could stop everything. You can't go forward until it's fixed. So much so that D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of yesteryear, he would often start revival services like this. The very first thing we do before we sing a song, folks, is I want you to come to the altar. And I want you to search and see if there's any bitterness. He says, if anyone has any bitterness, it's going to hold back our services. If we want revival, you need to come up here. You get right with God before you hear the message. Make sure that you're right with God. And he saw great revivals. Why? Because bitterness is something that we all face from time to time. You have to deal with that. Because it could actually hold back what God is doing. Because God's spirit's grieved because of it. And so the apostle Paul saying pray for us that the word of God may have free course. Paul is a traveling preacher. He's talking to a church that wants to hear what Paul says. But not all services are the same. And not all churches are the same. Not all services here are the same. There's sometimes uh, preachers will often talk about, because we try to prepare when we have a preacher. They said, man, I've got so much liberty here. You don't know how refreshing that is. We work on that. But there are some times that a rain cloud comes in and it's kind of like preaching through fog and come on. And, And there's a difference to it. This is why Paul is praying, pray for me. Pray for me, brethren, that the word of God may have free course. 
Because it's the word of God that changes lives. And as he goes on with that, that the word of God may have free course and be glorified. He understood this, that if we put a priority on the word of God, if we make it the word of God, then it will work even more. For example, when we open up our messages, we ask you, please take your copy of the word of God and we want you to open it to wherever. What do I want you to do? I want you to take your Bible. I want you to see it with your own eyeballs. I want God's word to do its own effect. Why do we take time to whatever passage I do to read the scripture? Hey, if that's the only thing I had time for, that's the most important thing is to have that scripture read. Because God's word will do its own work. What are we doing? We're glorifying the word of God. We're emphasizing the word of God. It's the word of God that's important. And when people begin to look at God's word for themselves, I appreciate if anybody gives me a hearing, but let me tell you, if I ever in conflict with the Bible, you choose the Bible. It is the Bible that has the emphasis. It is God's word that needs to do its work. And so we... He's saying, pray for us that the word may be glorified, that we put an emphasis, that we honor the word of God. By the way, this is why in our church service, other churches do it, the other thing, we ask people to have a hard copy Bible instead of using an app, because the Bible's not an app. It's the word of God. You say, but it's such a little thing. Yeah, but there's something to putting an emphasis on God's word. You play... uh, Candy Crush with your app. You do other stuff with your app. It's mundane. It is everyday thing. But to take the time on purpose to open up a hardback copy, whether you realize it or not, does something to you that we're putting an emphasis on it. You say it's a little thing. Yeah, but it's been a big deal. I've watched it work and watched it move. It it changes just putting an attitude towards the word of God. Putting an emphasis on it makes it seem special. And if it seems special, then we pay attention to it just a little bit more. Does it make sense? So, you know, pastor's not crazy after all. There's a method of a madness. But Paul is praying that the word of God may be glorified, even as it is with you. These are a group of people who believed in God's word. He says, I want you to pray that we have the free course, that people, we're putting an emphasis on it, that people love the word of God just like you guys do. Because it works. It's the word of God. And so as the apostle Paul is asking this church to pray for us. Brethren pray for us. The first thing that he asks is pray for us. That the word of God may have free course. What's the second thing that he had asked this church to pray for him about? He said pray for us to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Pray for us to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now in Paul's day there were many unreasonable and wicked men that wanted to stop the spread of God. The word unreasonable carries the idea that they cannot be reasoned with. Logic doesn't work on these folks. They don't want to hear the truth. They've made up their mind and no matter what great argument you may come up with, it's not going to work. They're unreasonable. The other qualifier here is wicked. It means the idea that they do not want God to get the emphasis. They want them to get the emphasis. Do you know that Paul was dealing with wicked and unreasonable men? May I give you some examples? Sometimes when he would go to preach, there would be a group of Jews who hated Paul's preaching on Christ. 
And they would actually follow him from town to town to stir up the people. Don't you listen to that Paul guy. Don't you listen to that Paul guy. Imagine how hard it is you get to a place and everybody's starting the rumors against you. Don't you listen to that Paul guy. And they would stir up riots. They got him arrested. Unreasonable and wicked men. But that wasn't the only thing. There were times that he would go and start a church. And as he would start a church, he would leave. And then the evangelist would come in. And the evangelist says, you know, I appreciate now that you're saved. But let me tell you that the Old Testament is the correct way. And if you truly want to have God's favor, you need to be one of God's people. And so you need to follow through this rules. You need to follow dietary laws. You need to get circumcised. And they go through this big list. This is what happened to the church at Galatia. This is why Paul said, Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? And he's passionate, he's upset. He said, you started off by believing Jesus Christ died for you by faith through grace. Why do you now think that you have to keep your salvation by keeping this list? He was upset. Why? But you imagine this? People would come in after he left and try to fix Paul's teaching. And confuse people and get them all off center. He he was dealing with it all the time. This was a good prayer request. Pray for us. That we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Notice this as he tells them this. For all men have not the faith. Not all people are saved. You know what the the job description of the wicked is in the Bible? They're supposed to be wicked. I mean... Wicked people are supposed to be wicked, right? They are. And they're out there. They're doing their job. As much as we'd like to believe that every person wants to hear the Bible, they do not. We'd like to believe that everyone wants a church like this to continue to go forward. But they do not. You'd like to think that everyone would love the Bible to be preached truly. But they do not. And there are people that set their whole purpose in life. Can you imagine? Their whole purpose in life is to stop a church or a pastor from doing their job. People do that. They give their entire life to do that. (laughs) If you again forgive personal illustrations, but you know, I've got tons of them. You know, I actually had someone put up a website against me once years ago. They called me a terrorist. Because I was preaching the word of God. And they didn't like the message. And so they thought it was their purpose in life. To warn everyone against me. Okay. Help yourself. I mean. They're going to do that. You know someone said. Well I don't want people to be mad at me. Well if you don't want people to be mad at you. Do nothing. Say nothing. And be nothing. But as long as they're kicking you in the rear. You know you got the lead. I'm supposed to follow after the Lord. But there are unreasonable and wicked men out there. And they want to stop what's going on. They want to stop God's word from going forward. They want to stop a church from doing what it's supposed to do. They want to hinder it. And you understand, there are many unreasonable and wicked men in our country today that are doing everything they can to make churches in their areas not open. We're thankful we don't have that problem at the moment. But wait till next year. I don't like to be political, but I have to warn you about this next year. Our new 
person who seems to be the president-elect has already said that he's making it a purpose to get rid of houses of worship because they are havens of hate, he said. That's his purpose. That's what he said. That's, you could look that quote up. You understand this next year, we don't know what's going to happen. But the joy of the Lord is going to be our strength. You know what you need to be praying for your pastor and for this church? That we be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. That prayer request may become very real in the next couple of years. We need to be praying that God goes forward. We need a revival. You need to be praying that the word of God will have free course. You need to be praying that we be delivered from <coughs> uh, unreasonable and wicked men. Notice as he tries to continue. You know, we can give you the bad news, but he takes time in verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. Don't look at these wicked uh, men and these unreasonable men. Look at Lord. God's faithful. No matter what, God's still faithful. Who shall establish you and keep you from evil? That's the God we're trusting from. We're trusting in him. Those men look like they may have a big bite, but let me tell you, God's bigger than them. Let's trust in him. Don't keep your eyes on the politicians. Don't keep your concerns on how evil people are. People are always evil. They're not going to stop being evil until they get saved. Keep your eyes on God who's able to work in a perverse generation. Keep your eyes on him. He is able to do that. What else did Paul ask them to pray for? What was the implication? Notice the third thing here. Pray for us to obey the Lord. Pray for us to obey the Lord. Now he gives a reference here to this church at Thessalonica, verse number four. And we having confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye will both do and will do the things which we command you. With this, he's still talking about prayer. And he's saying, guess what? I have confidence in you. That you're going to do what you're supposed to do. That we've given you some things in the Bible. In fact, he's giving him some correction now. We'll talk about that in just a second. But he says, I'm trusting that you're going to obey what we're going to do. How can we have confidence in that? Because I've been praying for you. And you pray for me. You know, there is a relationship between the man of God and the people of God. That you need to be praying for the man of God that he walks with God. That he's following after. That he's reading the Bible. That he gives you what the Bible says and not his own opinions. And then as people of God, we have the responsibility that if the man of God tells us the word of God, to obey the word of God. That makes it simple, doesn't it? That if we have a preparation to obey, then that's going to be an encouragement for the man of God to tell you the truth. There's so many preachers I know that have a hard time. They're pastors of the church, but they have a hard time preaching certain things in the Bible because they know there's some people that are not going to like it. I know there's lots of church pastors who refuse to talk about giving. You know, they're robbing their people. They're hurting their folks. You have to talk about finances. You understand there are things in the Bible that we have to address. We have to preach the whole counsel of God. But it is a lot easier when we know that people are going to receive it. They're going to say, you know what? I've never considered it before. Thank you for showing me that. Rather than, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to listen. Well, it makes it kind of hard. I already know that they're going to hate this. I'm, what do I do? You understand? There's a, there's a prayer here. He says, pray for us to obey the Lord and pray for that you obey the Lord. There's, how do you have confidence that people are going to do that? Well, if you've been praying for them as they ought, they're going to do what they're supposed to do. Pray for them. Pray for them. Continue to pray. Pray for one another. There's a responsibility here. There's a fourth thing here that I want to cover. 
that Paul, as he's talking to the church of Thessalonica, as he's ending this epistle, he starts off by saying, pray for us that the word of God will have free course. Pray for us that we be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Pray for us that we obey the Lord. He also said, pray for us to wait for Christ. Pray for us to wait for Christ. Now, this is important context. Because this is the second letter to the church of Thessalonica. This is one of the Apostle Paul's earliest letters. And the first letter he wrote uh, to the church because someone had a question. He talked all the time about Jesus Christ coming back. Jesus is coming back. We're looking forward to Jesus Christ is coming back. Oh, I can't wait till he comes back. Jesus Christ is coming back. And one of the people in the church wrote the Apostle Paul with a question. Paul, what happens if one of my loved ones dies before Jesus Christ comes back? That's a great question. And so he took time to write in there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He talks about that the dead in Christ shall rise first. And us that live and remain shall meet him up together in the clouds. He says, I, ah, let's just read it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, which is a page or two back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now again, what prompted this? Someone had a question for the Apostle Paul. And again, he talked all about the coming of the Lord. And so he takes time in this epistle to answer the question. That's why we love questions, by the way. Questions will often spark some great answers. Love questions. So someone asked Paul a question. Verse number 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Remember the word sleep here is a nice Bible kind way of saying that they die. They passed on. Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Let me tell you, there's a difference in preaching a funeral of a saved person and preaching a funeral of a lost person. When we have people who are saved, man, a funeral is different. Sure, we're sad they're not here, but it's not goodbye forever. It's see you in a little while. There's a difference to it. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. Oh, let me tell you, Paul say, guess what? If someone dies, they're with the Lord. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he's bringing them back with him. Oh, we're going to see them again. Verse number 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. And so he's talking about the coming of Christ again. Jesus Christ is coming back and then we which are alive and remain we're going to be caught up to clouds. But guess what? Those who had passed on before their bodies are going to rise and they're going to meet them up in the air and they're going to get their brand new bodies. Oh it's a great time. Jesus Christ is coming back. And he spoke about it that it was so real and so imminent. Jesus Christ you keep looking Jesus Christ is coming. That the people overreacted. They got the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And they said, oh, Paul is talking Jesus Christ. He's talking like Jesus Christ is almost here. Oh, this is great. And so, boss, let me tell you, Jesus Christ is coming. I quit. And leave the job. They quit. Some of them gave up their houses. You know what? I don't need this house anymore. Jesus Christ is coming. So they quit their jobs. They gave up their houses. They're waiting on the hilltops. Come on, Jesus! A day, a week, a couple months. Meanwhile, someone writes to the Apostle Paul and says, Paul, 
Since you wrote the second letter, they're all excited. They quit their jobs and they're waiting on the hilltops and they're waiting for Jesus. And now they're starting to get hungry. Paul, what do we do? And so Paul had to write the book of 2 Thessalonians and say, Jesus is Christ is coming. He's coming soon. He's coming imminently, but not yet. Okay? Meaning that you still have to live your life. You need to be looking for Jesus Christ. But until he comes, you're expected to still do something in this life. There is a work for you to do. That you're still supposed to tell people about the Lord. You're still supposed to worship. You're supposed to keep your job. And whoever doesn't work doesn't eat. You need to be productive. You need to be moving forward. There's a responsibility that you have. We're not supposed to take care of you just because you quit your job and gave up your house. And now you don't have any money. We're not supposed to take care of you because you did something foolish. We're supposed to be looking for Christ. He's coming back at any time. And you need to be waiting for him. But at the same time, there's something for you to do. And that's the whole writing of the book of 2 Thessalonians. And so as he finishes this, he's still, he's trying to get this idea. Christ is coming. Keep looking for him. But you still need to be busy. And so as he finishes up this, he's saying, pray for us. Notice with me in verse number five. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. And into the patient waiting for Christ. Notice this patient waiting of Christ. You know, most of us don't understand the word patience. Our idea of patience is to cross our arms, tap our feet. Come on, why is he late? Two hours to do her hair? Come on! I waited for you this whole time. That's not the word waiting for hair, okay? The word waiting... In fact, all throughout the Bible, it talks about this waiting on God. You know what waiting on God is? Waiting on God is the ultimate form of worship. Because you're trusting in him. I can wait for him because I know he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Jesus Christ is coming back. And I can patiently wait for him because I know he's not going to let me down. He's going to do what he said he was going to do. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, you believe that he is coming back and it is a real thing, it changes how you live your life. A couple different ways. First of all, you know what we're all going to do once we get raptured up? Because we like to talk. We're going to get together and say, hey, What was you doing when the rapture came? Man, I was in church. It was wonderful. What was you doing when the rapture came? Let me tell you, I was the last one to show someone from the Bible. And I just got through showing the Bible. And I said, will you? And he said, yes, in his heart. And God raptured us both. That was me. I was the last one to show someone. What was you doing? I don't want to talk about it. Right? Wouldn't you be hate to be have that testimony? For a thousand years. So what happened to you when you were raptured out? I don't want to talk about it. That'd be rough, wouldn't it? Well, I was watching something I wasn't supposed to. I'm glad I'm here. But oh man, wouldn't that be horrible? If you realize that Jesus can come back at any time, it changes your behavior. The Bible talks about in the book of 1 John that this is a purifying hope. That we pure ourselves purify ourselves with his hope. If you know that Jesus Christ could come back at any time, you guard what you do. But you know something else that comes with the coming of Jesus Christ in the rapture? The judgment seat of Christ. That immediately we're going to be judged before Christ. 
And everything we've done in our body, whether good or bad. Now, we're not being judged as Christians. We're not being judged whether we're going to hell or not. We're being judged for our service and our motives for Christ. Did we serve the Lord? You understand you don't have that much time left. All of us have shorter time on this earth than what we think. When you're young, you still think you're going to live forever. You're not. Even when you're middle age, you still think you got more time than what you have. And you know what we do when we have more time? We waste it. We waste it. We don't use it wisely. There's only a small time to use. the way that we live our life. And so he says, pray for us to wait for Christ. This patient waiting on Christ. God is going to come back and do what he said he was going to do. Do you believe it? He says, pray for it, that we keep our eyes on him. Now, listen here. Don't quit your jobs. Don't wait on the hill. But you could have confidence that God said he was going to do what he was going to do. But in the meantime... You stay busy. You stay working for the Lord. Use your time wisely. Pray for us that we do the same. He's saying, keep our eyes on the coming of the Lord. He is coming back. And so with this, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, brethren, pray for us. What do we do with such a thing? Well, as we set this aside for our anniversary Sunday, we want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. And I want us to pray for one another. And that we move forward together with all of our eyes on Christ and his coming. And that we would serve God together better than ever in this upcoming year. The greatest days of the Riverview Baptist Church are still ahead. How can we say that? Because God's still on the throne. And if we're looking at Christ, I'm looking at Christ. Then what's going to happen is that we're going to follow after him. And God is going to do some amazing things here until he comes. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.